Boys, I'm going to crack straight into it, if that's all right. We've been looking at our series, Jesus is the Key, Unlocking the Mystery of the Bible. You want to go to the next slide, please, Eric? And we've been sort of going through the whole, the whole Bible um, and, and in different points, breaking it down at each point. So somebody's come and spoken. And last week, Dad unpacked Jesus and the Gospels and kind of went through each Gospel um, and, and what it's all about and sort of like what the perspective is because each Gospel's got a different perspective. And I'm going to continue on. I'm, I'm going to look at Acts and the Church, which is a fantastic topic to look at. I think so, anyway. Um, and I, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to cover every single thing that happens in the book of Acts because it's quite big uh, or that happens in the growth of the, of the early church even. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull out some bits that I think that God really wants to speak to us on. Um, and so I have got a timeline, which will come up later, but it's quite small and you might be able to see it very well. So that will give you a bit more of a comprehensive, detailed approach of what happens in the book of Acts and the, and the birth of the early church. If you want a copy of that, I'll circulate that afterwards. But, we'll start, but I'll start by giving you a bit of context of the book of um, Acts. Written by Dr. Luke as, a, as essentially a sequel to his gospel. Um, he is, we know later on in Paul's writing that Luke is in fact a co-worker of Paul, so spends time travelling around. So this is an eyewitness account. And it starts like this, and I love it. It says, In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay? So remember where we are in the story. Okay, so what's happened is, Jesus has just come, he's born, he's lived a perfect life, he's died a sinner's death on the cross, death can't hold him, he rises again, and he's just about to be ascended when this is spoken. So you think, oh, Jesus, whoa, 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 Jesus, he's, hasn't he been, he's taught and, and, and done everything he needs to do, hasn't he? And I love that, it's a beginning, the Acts is a continuation of Jesus' work. It's not a separate, sometimes we go, oh, it's a separate entity, it's not, it's a continuation, Jesus is still working today. Yeah through the book of Acts, which is great, isn't it? And we are part of it, which is amazing. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we read as just Jesus is part of the story. He's part of the story of the Bible. He's, he's, if you go back, go, just go back one. He's, he's over here. The Bible, whoo, Jesus. But actually, Jesus is the story of the Bible. And if you're a Christian here today, you may have a story, but I want to tell you that Jesus is your story now. He becomes your story. To live is Christ, ooh, to die is gain. It's Jesus, it's Jesus. And what I love is, right at the start of Acts, Jesus prophesies the structure of the whole book that's coming up. He, he prophesies it. it. He's cool, Jesus is, I love him. And he says this in Acts 1.8. Have we got it on the screen? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the structure of the book goes like this. Acts 2 to 7 is essentially that bit in yellow there. It's the church in Jerusalem. Acts 8 to 12 takes us through the church's growth throughout Judea and in Samaria. And then Acts 13 and 28 is growing the church to the ends of the earth. How cool is Jesus? How cool is Jesus? He prophesies this way before. That's what happens. And, and, it's, and we are going to dig in a little bit. A diff pops in and I'm going to take some stories out and go, this is where Jesus is in, and this is where Jesus is in, and takes, there's some takeaways for us. The preachers already started before I got up and preached. What Sarah said and what Dad said, I was going, they're stealing my notes. Um, but that's, that's, that's great, because it means that God wants to say something to you. Every, everybody wants to say something to you this morning, which is really exciting. So what happens is, Jesus ascends at the start of the book of Acts. He goes up into heaven. He's sat at the right-hand right hand place um, with God. The disciples then choose another apostle to replace Judas, the betrayer. And then this happens. This is Acts 2.1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. 
Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so important to know that in the Old Testament, fire is synonymous with God's holy presence, okay? So in Exodus 40, we see the cloud descend onto the tabernacle. When God's presence fills the tabernacle, there's fire in the cloud at night so that people know that God's presence is there. But the thing is, it says this, it says Moses couldn't go into the tabernacle anymore. The presence was too strong, he couldn't go into the tabernacle anymore. In Chronicles 2.7, when God comes and fills the temple... The same thing happens. The fire of God comes down. His presence fills the temple. And it says this. The priests couldn't go in anymore. See, the glory of God and the sin of man can't coexist. They can't live together. Because God's too good. And our sin's too bad. But what Jesus does in coming, in dying that sin's death for you and me, is he rips the curtain. There's no barrier now. That sin isn't a barrier between you and God's presence. Somebody say amen. Come on. How cool is that? You don't have to sort of go to a, a physical place anymore to sort of like meet God. You are the physical place because God has filled you at Pentecost. That's what it is. See, Pentecost is the story of how God's presence moves from being a safe distance away from the people because otherwise you, know, you could die if you go in there and you're not holy. And now he comes and lives inside of us. It's really close. It's intimate. We are the temples. That is amazing. That's 1 Corinthians 6. Paul writes that. We're the carriers. People now don't need to just come to the temple to meet God. They can come to you. Your friends doesn't need to come to the temple in Jerusalem. They don't need to find a tabernacle. They don't even need to come to this church. If they meet you, they can bump into you in Sainsbury's. You're a carrier of the presence. You can take that. You can change somebody's life just by speaking to them in a supermarket. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's not even just good. It's better than good. Like, I, I sometimes think about inserting myself into the Old Testament how I would manage and I think we really struggle we don't know how lucky we are how, how blessed we are to have the, the, the living God living inside of us and that's what Pentecost is it's amazing amazing and sometimes I feel like we get a bit caught up in sort of like oh yeah I've got the presence of God inside me but, um, but what my neighbour really needs is they need the church when the church starts putting on more missional activities then my neighbour will come to know Jesus then he'll find out how good Jesus is. And I want to say to you today, Jesus is saying to you, you're the church. You are the church. You're the person that your neighbor needs. I can tell you that people are going to get saved at this Alpha course, but not if you don't bring them. They won't. It's just not going to happen. You need to bring, find people. Who, who, can, who am I going to bring? Who can I bring? Bring them to church. Invite them along. Even if they say no, give it a go. Temples of the presence. Amazing. That's the first one. Acts 2 sort of continues on, and we see this. We see a formation of a community happening. We see a formation of a community, of a group of believers. So, so basically, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then Peter pre- preaches this amazing message, and 3,000 people are saved that day. Yeah? Which is pretty cool. That'd be cool if that happened sort of like next week, wouldn't it? If everybody brought, like, how many friends they have to bring? I don't know, 30 friends, something like that. You know, that would be amazing. But the thing is, it just it happens, and then these believers need to go somewhere. So this forms a community, and it says this about the, the, uh, the believers. That they loved each other, they ate together, they shared with each other, they worshipped together, they did life, they were joyful, they were generous, and they grew. This is what Jesus is talking about to his disciples in John 13. When he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love, and this is a good bit, well, it's all good. 
Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This right here this morning, guys, is community. This is not just about a church service. And if you just come once a week and you just come along and you kind of like, you don't really connect with anybody, you don't have fellowship with anybody, you don't serve the church, you don't really give into the church, that's not the Acts model of church. It's not the Acts model. It's, it's being part of it. Get involved. Get plugged in. Connect with the person next to you. This is, we're putting on things. There's so much stuff you can get involved in. Really, there is. And if you don't know, come and find out what there is. You can get involved in mentoring. You can join teams to help serve. There's mission teams operating in this church that, that do amazing work. And you can join that stuff. This is about a community. Love the church, guys. Love it. I love this church. I'm really passionate about this church. I've grown up in it. I've come through from being, what, like eight years old, and I've, I'm now 23 years old um, and getting old. But it's, <laughs> I feel like it anyway. Uh, it's amazing. Love the church. Sometimes it really hurts me when people talk bad words about the church. And I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about just the church in general. I'm talking about the church of Jesus. Sometimes it's easy to moan, isn't it? Amen. Oh, yeah. It's easy to moan. But I want to say to you this morning, don't moan about the, the people of God. Don't moan about the church. Because God wants to speak. Build up, don't tear down. It's really easy to tear stuff down, isn't it? It's hard to build stuff up. Speak well to the person next to you. Encourage them. Meet them for coffee. And you, this family, because as we love each other, the world will know that we are followers of Jesus because of how we love each other. That's amazing. That is amazing. We continue through the book of Acts. We see a pattern begin to emerge. We see the apostles go out, they minister to people, and then opposition comes. They get persecuted. And in chapter 6, skipping on a little bit, we see Stephen, the introduction of Stephen. And the Bible said that he was a man full of grace and God's grace and power. And he gets arrested on the basis that he's... uh, on the basis of lies, really. People were telling him that he's been blasphemed against Moses and God, and it's not true. And he gets brought before a council, and he preaches strongly to them really hard. Go and read it in Acts 7. Really strong. And, and as he's, as he's kind of sort of come to the end of his preach, he looks up and he sees Jesus in the sky, sat at the right hand of the Father. And he, sa- and he says what he sees, and they pick up the stones, and they stone him. And I want to tell you that persecution was real 2,000 years ago, but it's real today as well. There are people all across the world who are dying for what they believe in. Me and Levs went to um, Exmouth Community College a couple of weeks ago. I had the real privilege of being part of the Christian Practices Fair, um, which is where basically the year 10s for the REGCSE, um, the teachers invited lots of different Christian organizations that were sort of based in and around Exmouth to come in and share what sort of the difference they make is, why they do what they do, what do they do, and, and sort of like what difference they make in. Um, and we went along, we chatted to some of the kids, and we had a really great time. And I had the privilege of sitting on a Q&A panel um, in front of 400 year 10s and they asked some different questions and, they, and one of the questions they asked was why are Christians the most persecuted religion in the world? And that stumped me a little bit because I was like, oh, that's a good question. I, I'm glad somebody else answered this, didn't me? And this woman on, the, on a panel, she said, well, I think it's because Christians, the Christian, the Christianity is the most arrogant. I thought, oh, where's she going with this? And she said, lots of other religions around the world, so there's many ways to find life. There's many ways to find truth. But Christianity says Jesus is the way, because he says it. He says, I'm the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. It's worth dying for. 
I wonder, who believes that? Who believes that it's worth taking it to, yeah? Stephen did. And this amazing thing happens in Acts 8, the, literally the verse afterwards, when Stephen's just died. And as he dies, by the way, he says, God, don't, don't hold this sin against them. What a man. But anyway, Acts 8.1 says, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered, scattered throughout, through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Stage two. Do anybody remember? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Jesus, he knows. It's like, he, it's like he had an insight into it or something. Isn't it amazing that under persecution the church grows? I find it amazing. Wherever there's persecution today, there's expansion. You look at the stuff like churches in China and all those sort of places, persecution and expansion. And in the Bible um, sort of video that you're going to watch this week in your, in your connect groups, there's a quote from a second century Christian called Tertullian. And he says this. He says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That's hard, isn't it, sometimes? The role that the martyrs have played in the establishment of the church can never be undersold. We would not be sat here today if it wasn't for martyrs. And we say in church a lot sometimes, I hear these phrases, how blessed are we to have the freedom to be able to worship, to be able to preach the gospel, and I 100% agree. But sometimes I worry that that leads into a complacency. In our freedom, we become complacent. And something that God's been speaking to me personally, he's been speaking into my personal relationship with him, he's been speaking into my ministry with the youth, with Exmouth, is it's got to cost more. It's got to cost more. I want to tell you, how much does following Jesus cost you today? How much does following Jesus cost you today? James says that faith without works is dead. And I think that sometimes when we read that, we think about the passage as just our works. We think about, oh, well, I'll read it as if, uh, the f- if I have faith, then I need to do works. And that is partially right, but I think there's more to it than that. I think sometimes it's having the sort of faith that without God working, we're dead. Ooh. Sometimes we need to have faith. It's like the Peter faith of going, God, you better come through for me now as I step out this boat or I'm going to drown. Yeah? When you are fully reliant on God, only then do you realize that he's fully reliable. When you're fully reliant, because you can depend on other stuff, but when you fully rely on him and you realize he's your foundation, then you are, then you know. And you give up yourself for him. The church grows under persecution. Why? Because faith is real when you need it to eat. When you need it to survive, your faith becomes real. We we, sometimes we don't need real faith in this country. And so we don't necessarily have it. But faith to get through, actually, I'm going to step out. Faith is saying, I'm going to go into an environment and talk about Jesus. I'm going to believe that he can do miracles in my workplace, because he can. I'm going to pray for somebody. He's going to have my back, because he does. Because God responds to faith. He all, all the read the Bible, all the way through, responds to faith. You know, Because there's Christians all across the world who are dying for this message that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And they're under heavy persecution. But they're still preaching the gospel. And we have no persecution and we don't preach the gospel. Is anybody agree? Sees that? I'm not saying this to condemn you because this is my story as well. I look at myself in the mirror and say, Josh, you are free to preach the gospel, but how often do you do it? And it's a hard question, but it's a question that God is asking us to do. 
I think that on the cross, Jesus' sacrifice when he dies there is not just about taking the sins of the world away, although that's amazing and you can never understate that. It's about modeling something more. It's about modeling what love looks like. It's about modeling to his church how we should live our lives. It's tough. The pain that Jesus went through was tough. And this isn't just Jesus, and you go, oh, that's just Jesus, just Jesus did that. Look at the apostles, the story of the apostles is at the end they ministered for a long time and then they were killed. Oh, it's a hard, this is a hard message. But it's true. And we sit in our armchairs and we complain about the church. But there's more. And God's calling us to more. In Luke 9, if anybody will come after me, this is Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's tough words. I'm sorry I'm being strong. I hope you receive it well. But these are Jesus' words. You can take it up with him. These are Jesus' words. So we continue on. We'll, continue, we'll come back there a little bit later. But in, so in chapter 9, we see Saul, who's also sort of known as Paul throughout the Bible, who was there at Stephen Stoning two, two to three years earlier at this point. And he spent the last two to three years persecuting the church, really going after him, killing Christians, all that stuff. And he's walking to Damascus and he has an experience with Jesus and he's blinded. And his whole life changes when Jesus says to him, look, you, stop persecuting me. And Paul goes from the, at, the, at the start of chapter 9 from persecuting Christians to by the end of chapter 9, he's preaching in the synagogue. Jesus changes lives. And he still does it today. Mark, who's coming to speak tonight, is a story of a changed life. We've literally advertised it on the poster. He's a story of Paul, somebody whose life was way, way away from God, in the opposite direction. But Jesus transforms him. And he can do that to you as well. What happens is, um, just after um, Stephen stoning, the church really spreads out and goes everywhere. And one of the places it goes to is Antioch. And Antioch is quite significant because it's, it's quite a diverse city, a lot going on, a lot of people from different backgrounds um, are, are there, different ethnicities, different races. Stuff. A lot of people would come through Antioch and go on to other places. And so the church, sort of, the believers spread out after the persecution that they face after, like Stephen gets stoned and stuff. They go out and this church blows up in Antioch. It really blows up. So the Jerusalem church send Barnabas and Paul along. They say, go on, we go and help the church. They spend a year just sort of going along and sort of like preaching, teaching and helping them grow. And then what's interesting about Antioch is actually it's the first place that we call Christians. And what's great about that is they don't, Christians don't call themselves Christians. The culture around them called them Christians. Why? They called them Christians because they looked like Jesus. They were, follow, they were clearly followers of Jesus, the way they talked, the way they preached, the way they walked. And sometimes that's a good question for us is do our lives look like Christians, Christians Christ followers? That's what that means. Do we call, we, sometimes we can call ourselves Christians. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, would other people call you a follower of Christ if they just saw your life? Because that's what, that's what these guys do. Amazing. Spirit prompts the church in Antioch to send ministers out, which is Paul and Barnabas, into the rest of the world. They go to Asia Minor, which is essentially modern-day Turkey um, and the surrounding areas there. That's chapter 13 and 14. And the first mission trip, they go on. They go to Cyprus. And they go and meet the Roman governor in, in, a, in a town in Cyprus. And they start ministering to him. And this sorcerer comes along. And this sorcerer starts like distracting them and saying, and, and he's like kind of connected to the governor. And he says, don't listen to Barnabas and Paul. You don't want to listen to what they've got. Because I want to tell you this, that when you step out in faith, you're going to face opposition. 
You what? When you step out, there's opposition coming. Maybe you're in a position where you actually want to step out in faith, but you keep facing opposition, so you're stepping back. And God wants to say to you today, step in. Because what Paul says is really interesting. Paul knows his authority. So this is what Paul says. Paul says, look, God, look, mate, you're of the devil. You're a liar. And, and he just looks past him, and he, and he continues ministering, which is amazing. Because he knows his authority. And you need to know your authority, that when the spirit of the living God lives inside of you, you have power. You are no longer living in a place of vulnerability, but a place of victory. You're not vulnerable anymore. Sometimes I, you know, I, sit, I sit down and chat with people who are Christians, and they go, oh, I'm so, I'm so vulnerable, I'm, so, I'm struggling so much. I say, you are victorious. You're a champion. Sometimes you need to look in the mirror and say, I'm a champion. Through what Jesus has done for me, I overcome an overcomer. In fact, I'm more than an overcomer. That's what the Bible says. You have victory. You're not a victim. You're a victor. You know, I love Paul because he doesn't look at the opposition and stop there. He looks at the opportunity past the opposition. And there is opportunity past your opposition. The reason you face opposition a lot of times is because there's opportunity behind it. And the enemy wants to stop you before you get started. And today God's going, no, use your authority. There's, more, there's churches that need to be established. There's people that need to be saved. There's people that need to hear this amazing good news of how good Jesus is. Don't let that sort of that opposition come against you. Maybe that's a thought pattern. Maybe that's a medical condition even. But you are a victor in Jesus' name. Anybody believe that? That's what the Bible says. Take it with Jesus if you don't. We move on. We move on. Chapters 16 to 20 essentially see the church um, go through. Paul goes on his second ministry tour. He goes through Asia Minor. And on to ancient Greece. He goes to places like Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, Macedonia. And what we see in these missions is a clear clash between the cultures of the church and the cultures of the surrounding societies. It is really interesting. This point, this is where Paul starts to write his letters back to the church, encouraging them, saying, guys, don't put Jesus into the boxes that society is trying to put him in. Don't just become, don't compromise. I've set you, Jesus has set you apart. You're called to be different. Jesus still doesn't fit into the societal boxes that sometimes we try and put him in. Sometimes we try and fit him in. Oh, maybe Jesus will fit in over here. Jesus is countercultural. He was then and he is today. I think he's so amazing. And sometimes it's a little bit, it just doesn't seem to sync up. But that doesn't mean that he's irrelevant. He is completely relevant. 100% irrelevant. Why? Because everybody's looking for him. Everybody's looking for Jesus. Everybody needs that. They've got a gap inside of them. We all know it. If, you, if you're a Christian, you know that gap because you had it and now Jesus filled it. If you're not, Jesus can fill that gap for you. Because Jesus, people don't even realize that they, they, have, you know, they, they have questions. They don't realize Jesus is the answers. But they have the questions. So everybody's looking for Jesus in some way or another. Perfect love is completely relevant. Everybody needs perfect love. Everybody wants perfect love. Nobody doesn't want to not be loved. It's often us who aren't relevant. It's often how we communicate that's not so relevant. See, Paul, when he goes to the, the Jewish people, a lot of times when Paul goes into a new town or city, he goes straight to the synagogue. He goes to the synagogue, he opens up the scriptures and he begins to reveal to them how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Why? Because it's, they it's what they understand. When he goes to the Greeks in Athens... He uses their own gods as an illustration of the gospel. 
So we need to be people who can communicate relevantly into our cultures, into our societies. If you're really struggling with that, I'd really just say, come and ask for help. Because that's what a, in a community we do. When we've done another answer, we ask somebody else, see if they can help us. Maybe you're in a situation, you go, oh, I really want to minister to people, but my words seem to just be like, they don't seem to be hitting the gap. I can't seem to connect with this person. Come and speak to somebody, we can help you. That's, that's, what, that's what the leadership here is here to do. And because Jesus doesn't fit into societal boxes, sometimes people like Paul got labelled as troublemakers. Oh, he's just causing trouble. And chapters 1 through 27, essentially, is when Paul gets arrested, and then he gets bounced around authorities to authorities, sort of going, is he guilty? What's he guilty of? Who can even sort of say he's guilty? Because he's a Roman citizen, so he's got political sort of protection, which just makes it a bit awkward. Can anybody actually convict him? The Jews want to kind of kill him because he's saying sort of that Jesus is the new way and they don't really like that. But the Romans are like, well, he's a Roman citizen. They get a bit confused. And he spends that six chapters, two years, being bounced around. And eventually we see Paul at the end of Acts in chapter 28 in Rome, under Roman God, still preaching. He preaches all the way through. And we know that after that he continues to encourage the church. He writes letters to the churches saying, come on, keep up the faith to individuals. Keep up the faith, come on. Grow, don't fall into the way of the world. Be like Jesus, be like Jesus. He's an amazing man. Just go and study his story, he's amazing. And if you believe this church tradition generally accepts that Paul after that point probably goes on more mission, and given what we know about Paul as a, somebody who loves mission, has done it all his life up to this point, we can generally assume that's probably quite safe and continues to take the gospel on tour. And since that point, the church has spread all over the world. We're here because of a result of that. That's spreading. Let me tell you this. The church is still alive today. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is still alive today. Yeah? It's still alive. Don't let people tell you that the church is dead. Some churches are dead. Why? Because they don't have Jesus. But church is alive. Jesus' church is alive. And we get to be a part of it. How amazing is that? Do you want to jump on keys, Sarah? Now, Acts starts with these words that the Gospels were just the beginning of what Jesus was going to begin and te- uh, do and teach. And he's still doing and teaching. He's doing and teaching this morning. He wants to do and teach your neighbours how much he loves them and needs you. He wants you. Here are your takeaways. Be the temples. Love each other. Be the community. Carry the cross. Know the cost. Know that you don't live in a place of vulnerability but victory. And this ultimately, know that it's all about Jesus. He's the key. He's the everything. There's nothing that comes close to him. I can't tell you, I could spend seven hours here and I wouldn't explain how good Jesus is. I'm not going to do that. He's amazing. He's everything. He's your life. You're a Christian. He's my life as a Christian. He's so good.